Recession talk is everywhere. The yield curve remains inverted, the worst it's been since November of 2000. I wonder if anyone remembers what happens after that. Um, Home sales are slowing. Earnings growth is slowing. Uh, The S&P remains down 20% for the year. Gold is weak. The dollar is strong. Not a single sector of the 11 sectors of the S&P are positive over the past three months. Um, And we've still got a long way to go to get out of this market and leadership malaise that we're in. I am Nick Hodge. I'm by myself this week, and this is episode 177 of Bizarro World. I'm going to recap a little bit of the letters I've written over the past couple of weeks because I had an issue of foundational profits for July that was out um, the second Friday of the month as they always come out. And uh, I was writing recently that, um, you know, inflation is sort of old news at this point, right? Everyone knows that prices are high. We just printed a 9.1% on the the CPI, which is the highest since 1981, I believe. Um, That's longer than I've been alive. And everyone feels the inflation. And now the market is turning its eye to uh, recession and toward earnings. So um, I guess first, let's start with with the inverted yield curve. It is um, that's when you take the, the U.S. 10 year yield and subtract away the U.S. two year yield, um, which should be less than the 10 year yield because it's a shorter duration. But when it's higher than the 10 than year yield, we say the curve is inverted. And every time the yield curve has inverted going back something like um, a century, then a recession follows. And not only did the yield curve invert once this year, not did it, not only did it invert twice this year, but it's inverted now three times this year. And um, what's interesting to note is that it's uh, significantly inverted. So um, at a point last week, you know, the the yield curve was inverted some 22 basis points, right? Nearly a quarter of a percent. And the last time it was that inverted was in the fall of the year 2000, which of course um, predicated the recession that was coming then and the dot-com bust that followed, which saw a 40% decline in stocks over the next uh, year or so. No, excuse me, over the next two years or so. Um and so a recession is firmly in the cards and um, you'll hear a lot of pushback against it. People pointing to certain things like the uh, most recent jobs report was decent, not great. Um, or they'll point to things like retail sales being up for the month of June. But um, really, if you drill down into it, um, you can see through some of those arguments uh, from the mainstream or from um, you know entrenched politicians who, of course, want you to believe that everything is okay. You know, we had the White House uh, uh, press secretary last week saying that, you know, the the American economy is strong, which if you participate in the economy at all, you know, is um, frankly bullshit. So, um, you know, hiring is uh, slowing. If it's not reflected in the numbers yet, you can see it in the headlines. Um, Google has said that it's going to slow hiring. Um, Apple has said that it's going to slow hiring and cut costs. Many other tech companies have said that they're doing the same. And so uh, hiring from uh, at least an anecdotal perspective is is certainly uh, slowing down and, and making headlines um, 
the opposite of, of what you would see if the economy was strong and, and hiring was robust. You know, there was a, a, an article out just this week in, in CNN I'm looking at that says Google becomes the latest tech giant to, to slow hiring. It's just the, the latest in the list of uh, companies that are slowing hiring. And then if you take a look at the GDP, which is a true measure of um, um, obviously economic growth. But when you have two consecutive negative quarters of economic growth, that's what marks a recession. And so uh, you had minus 1% growth or 1.5% growth in the first quarter. And now the Atlanta, um, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, which puts out a GDP now cast, uh, an estimate of what the uh, numbers are going to be, is saying that um, as of July 15th, they're looking at a negative one and a half percent print on the GDP for Q2. We'll get the official number later this month that comes out on July 28th. And I think it's going to give the market significant headwinds and solidify for a lot of people that uh, we truly are in a recession. You could also look at uh, earnings growth. So I've been saying in my letters for a while that, you know, the earnings that were going to come out in Q1 and Q2 and Q3 of this year were going to be compared against, uh, obviously, the year ago numbers in Q1, 2, 3 of 2021. And those um, numbers were very robust. Uh, if you haven't heard me say it on this podcast or in my letters, you know, the earnings growth in Q2 2021 was something like 85, 88 percent. And this year you're looking at 4 percent growth. So a significant slowdown in earnings growth. And as I record this, we're just now entering earnings season. We just got through the first week of earnings. Something like 7% of the S&P 500 companies have reported. That's 35 companies. And you've seen some significant um, downward revisions, some significant misses. I'd point specifically to you know JP Morgan, who's the first to report um, coming in at uh, what is that there? I'm looking at 13 cents uh, under under uh, what analysts were expecting. They reported two dollars and seventy six per two dollars and seventy six cents per share earnings versus the expected two dollars and eighty nine cents. And we're saying that there's significant headwinds. Um, uh, they were saying that there's uh, not a lot of comps to compare the current situation to. They said that. Um, year over year, their their revenue grew $200 million, but their costs expanded by over a billion dollars. Um, and you're going to see more of that as the, the rest of the S&P continue, continues to report earnings over the next couple of weeks. Wells Fargo was another big miss. Uh, Morgan Stanley was a big miss. And those are all just in the financial sector. You also had in the industrial sector, Lockheed Martin, with a significant guide down, um, downward revisions to, to earnings per share from $6.35 per share all the way down to $1.88 per share. And, and these numbers, again, are being compared to, to last year at this time, which were very robust earnings because they themselves were being compared to 2020 when everyone was locked down in their house. And so the market discounts or sells those um, downward rates of change when, when earnings growth is going the opposite direction that, that it was. And when you're staring at a recession, then um, the market gets extremely spooked. And, and the market is extremely spooked right now, as I said 
um, that a single S&P sector is up over the past three months. And the only one that's up for the year, uh, for the entire year now, as we head into the third quarter, is energy. But energy itself was the, the worst performing sector over the past month. So uh, the wind is coming out of energy sales as well. You've got crude now down below $100 and, and gas prices, thankfully, coming down off their uh, all-time highs. So um, what else did I want to get into here? Um look back at my list. You've got home sales slowing. So um, if you just Google home sales slowing and, and, and look at a bunch of news stories, you can see from city to city, even in, in, in some of the fastest growing markets of the past year or two in Texas and um, here in Washington State and Seattle, um, housing uh, sales are, are slowing. Um, I think they were the worst in, in, in two years as far as uh, canceled uh, deals, even, you know, sales that are getting close to the finish line being um, abandoned. And, and, and that's a function of um, higher rates and people not being able to afford as much house, right? You've got um, mortgage rates up over 5%, approaching 6%. And um, I should mention, you've got a Federal Reserve who is intent on continuing to raise rates. If you look at the um, what the market is pricing in, they meet the day before GDP comes out, they meet on July 27th of this year. And the market is indicating that they could raise rates by 100 basis points. Um, that's a full percent larger than the um, it would be larger than the 75 basis point hikes that they've been uh, that they hiked the last time they met. And so um, it's a wrongheaded move to be to be raising rates into a slowdown. And, and, and what would you expect otherwise from the Federal Reserve? They're the uh, same group who was telling you for the past year that inflation was transitory. And of course, it wasn't. Uh, me and Gerardo had been telling you that from, from the onset um, in as far back as early 2021. And um, there's no reason to expect the Fed to do the right thing. They've got to try to get uh, the inflation that they themselves caused, along with the the government who was mailing out stimulus checks, um, and I continue to equate it to the Fed, uh, the Fed, excuse me, the fox guarding the the hen house, right? Why would you expect the the, the entity or the institution who caused the inflation to be able to rein it in? Um, and I guess I'll pick on politicians for a second because uh, across the spectrum, you're approaching midterms and. Uh, I was poking around some websites of some candidates here in the past couple of days. And uh, one of the, the largest issues, of course, is inflation, high prices, and they're all promising to bring it down, which um, is not anywhere in the realm of reality. Of course, politicians don't control um, prices once the, the, the money supply has been increased like it has been over the past couple of years. I mean, to believe that um, an inflation, uh, a politician can can lower prices for you at the pump or otherwise is um, is wrong headed. And if you believe that, like they say, I've got a, a bridge to sell you. And so you hear politicians say, even the president, you know, you've got to reduce costs at the pump. And, um, you know, that's not really in the, the, the realm of control of politicians. And so I guess let me continue down the politicians avenue for a second, because we were telling you that it was going to be a hot summer and uh, we were telling you that there's going to be political upheaval. And you can see that really across the globe. If you look at the protests going on in the Netherlands with uh, Dutch farmers continuing to, to block streets and, and move their equipment into, into public squares in defiance of uh, or in protest of uh, 
climate change laws that the country wants to enact that would raise their already uh, high input costs for production. Or if you look at the Sri Lanka, where the, the president just had to flee, literally flee the country as uh, citizens overtook the, the presidential palace and the, the country's central bank building. Um, and they've been rationing gasoline there. Or you look at uh, the assassination of the, the former prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, or uh, you look at the resignation, almost in disgrace, of, of Boris Johnson, whose own uh, party turned against him, uh, unwilling to support him any further as the leader there. Or um, just this week, Mario Draghi, the, the prime minister of Italy, tendered his resignation, which was rejected by that country's uh, president. Or even on a local level here in in, in Washington State, uh, across the, the mountains from Spokane, where I live in, in Seattle, you had uh, U.S. Representative Pramila Jayapal um, threatened with a guy out in her yard uh, with a, a, a pistol strapped to his uh, waist, which is legal here, uh, threatening her, saying uh, allegedly, because he hasn't been charged yet, but the neighbor was saying that he was shouting for her to go back to, to India and that he was going to kill her and it wasn't his first entanglement with her. Um, it, you can even look at the, the, the way people are getting vocal um, against the abortion ruling with people running um, Supreme Court justices out of their out of their dinner when they're out at restaurants or protesting in, in front of their houses. I mean, people are sort of uh, fed up and there's been an absolute lack of uh, leadership, at least in my eyes, to, to really not combat the problems that we're facing, but to, to, to lay the foundation to avoid them in the first place. Right. Um, like I was saying a couple of minutes ago, you know, if you look to these politicians to solve your problems, then um, that's not the, the right way to be looking at things. I mean. You've had experts in office or leaders in office for the, the past several years, right, who have um, uh, allowed things to progress to the point they've gotten to now. If they weren't making the right decisions then, what makes you think they're going to make the right decisions now? But anyway, getting back to the to the to the market a little bit, um, let's talk about gold, which I was telling you last week could fall even further. You know, it was. Uh, holding up uh, relatively well at $1,800 for most of the year and uh, has quickly broken down from that over the past, I call it three or four weeks. And um, you have people wringing their hands saying, you know, in this environment, in this inflationary environment, in this recessionary environment, that gold should be doing much better. But um, what you really have to look at is the dollar. I mean, the dollar is uh, the strongest it's been in in 20 years at this point um registering a, a 109 handle on the dxy index and looking like it could break out even higher and when you've got a a strong dollar like that it signals a couple of things one that, that people are fleeing for safety uh, fleeing the market fleeing speculative positions um, and it really puts a lid on how high commodities and, and gold can go. So um, if you look at copper, which is a bellwether for the economy, it's uh, you know often referred to as Dr. Copper because it diagnoses you know what's going on out there. Um, it's off some 30% from its highs after it screamed to $5 a pound earlier this year, now trading closer to $3 a pound. Uh, same thing with several uh, commodities across the board. And then if you look at gold, it's pulled back to, to 1700 and, and doesn't have a lot of support there. 
Um, I'm looking at a gold chart. I could easily make a case for it to go to the 1680s. And uh, if it doesn't hold a little bit of support that's there for it to have a, a flash crash, as it were, down to the to the $1,500 level, which um, would be the level it was in the um, total upheaval that we saw in March 2020 when COVID was just um, starting to be a thing. And here we are approaching 2023 and, and COVID-19 is still a thing. I was reading this week that um, Los Angeles is very close to p- p- perhaps uh, reinstating their mask mandate. And so um, COVID-19 has fast become uh, COVID-23, it seems like. Um, and, and, and all that said, it's the reason that my largest single position continues to be dollars. I was looking at the accounts I manage today, not the, the private placements that I do, but the uh, my retirement accounts and, and the, my brokerages that I buy in the open market with, and I'm still holding 35% cash. Um, I was writing in the letter this week that I can't see uh, strong reasoning to buy a lot of things. As I said, uh, every sector of the S&P down over the past month. And what I've been doing is continuing to raise more cash. So selling fringe positions, uh, stocks I took a flyer on that um, I wanted to just have a toehold in or, or keep an eye on. Um, I, I've shed those if I, if I don't want to hold them through what I, I see is more of a rough patch ahead. Um, and the only thing I've been buying are companies that I'm intimately familiar with, uh, the management, and the asset, and, um, and comfortable holding them uh, through a continued downturn, downturn and, and, and know what my cost basis is um, originally and, and what levels I'm, I'm confident in, in buying more of. And that's not a lot of positions. I called out just two specifically in um, my family office letter this week, one in the copper space and one in the gold space. And other than that, um, I'm enjoying summer, man. I'm sitting by the pool. We were going to the lake this past week. The kids had a fantastic time at a, at a friend's house out there who's got a, a lake house and a, and a boat. We were doing some tubing. And, and I think that's what a lot of people are doing. And so I think tax law season this this fall is going to be brutal. And, and there's going to be a lot of um, quality positions to deploy some of that cash into. But I'm not rushing headlong into the market right now, given all the things I just laid out for you. Inverted yield curve pointing to recession, uh, GDP pointing to recession, home sales slowing, hiring slowing, earnings growth slowing. It's not an environment to really be deploying cash into. And um, if you need to know a couple of the other things, uh, sectors that I do uh, hold and and own, um, one is utilities, which has been a recommendation of mine in in foundational profits. Um, The sector is certainly down for the year, but um, every sector is down for the year except for energy. And so what you're looking for is a relative outperformance, which uh, utilities have provided. And then consumer staples is really uh, the only other S&P sector that I own outside of materials, which includes all the mining stocks, gold stocks, et cetera. So um, a lot of cash, a lot of gold and gold stocks, both in the form of physical and the form of paper gold via GLD and in the form of um, mining stocks, a GDXJ, for example, and some other um, large producers. And then um, consumer staples, which I have been expressing via tobacco stocks. And so not a lot to do out there. Um, you're in the, the dead heat of summer. There is a heat wave uh, across the U.S. I was 
Uh, looking at the temperatures in Texas the other day where Gerardo lives, it was 107 degrees in Austin. And um, their grid is being threatened again. And so let me just touch on that for a second, right? Because last winter, uh, you had blackouts in, in Texas, which runs its own grid through ERCOT, um, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. And they were saying, you know, the Texas grid isn't made for this freezing weather. Well, here we are in the summer and, and they're, they're, they're forecasting um, rolling blackouts. They're telling people to, to set their thermostats high. And, um, you know, I'm scratching my head because I thought the grid was made for summer and not winter. But here we are. It's not performing well in the summer. Um, and that's really a global problem. And, 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 and there's a lot of solutions that are going to come of that, whether it's um, implementing uh, distributed power systems with with energy storage systems in the form of whatever it is, pumped hydro or, uh, you know, uh, using the heat of power plants or um, batteries even, and, and, and certainly um, an increased adoption of nuclear, which I wanted to touch on. So, you know, winter is coming. We're already in the, the third quarter. We're halfway through summer. Um, Germany is um, really worried, it seems like, right, about their, their gas supply situation, given the um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and then they're debating even turning their um, coal plants back on. You'll remember that Germany abandoned nuclear several years ago, which isn't looking like the um, the best decision now. And then you've got Japan saying, um, you know, we need to prepare for winter as well. And, and we're trying uh, as fast as possible to get our nuclear plants back online because several of them are still offline um, over 10 years after Fukushima. Um and so uh, nuclear, I think, is something to keep an eye on on the, on the backside of this um, summer doldrums, the recession that's manifesting and, um, you know, the long term uh, catalysts, the long term fundamentals are, are still in place for uh, the uraniums of the world, the, the coppers of the world and the inputs that are necessary to uh, implement these clean technologies and, and transition to uh, electric vehicles and the, the grid that's needed to support them. Look, you think the grid in Texas can't support uh, 107 degrees? Uh, wait till you, you have um, a significant portion, even 5 or 10% of people driving electric vehicles. Look, the uh, amount of people that have electric vehicles right now in the U.S. is, is 1%. So, um, you're going to have a lot more people plugging in. I saw a meme this week of a, of a train car carrying coal, which I see every day on my way to work here. I mean, coal is long from dead. We have a lot of railways here in Spokane and uh, the coal trains go by every single day, car after car full of coal. But anyway, uh, the meme had a picture of a, a coal carrier on a train and it said uh, another load of electric car fuel, right? And um, that's because coal remains the, the dominant technology for producing electricity. And so um, over the years, in the coming years, you know, by 2025, 2030, um, we're going to have to make a, a significant change to that globally. And um, I would continue to point to, to, to nuclear and to, and to uranium, obviously, which you need for nuclear, and then to uh, the copper that's going to be necessary to build out those um new power systems and new grid systems. So um, with that, let me let me turn a little bit to the news and, and give you some of my uh, bizarro items or, or discussion items that we um, like to touch on every week. Um, I saw this week that Subway was um, being sued uh, for their tuna, which it turns out isn't tuna at all. 
Um, and this is a long time shtick or, or trope of mine, right? Is um, how we let companies get away with things for, for so long, whether it's, um, you know, Fitbits that, that were not truly tracking what your heart rate and, and pulse was, um, you know, being marketed as, as accurate or uh, the amount of wood pulp that's allowed to go in, in grated cheese or, um, and in this case, uh, Subway, um, there was a group who, who, who was spot checking the tuna fish that Subway was serving. And in 19 of 20 tests, um, contained zero tuna DNA. So they took 20 samples and 19 of them came back without any tuna in them. There was, um, chicken in the samples, there was beef in the samples, um, but there was no tuna in 19 of the samples and Subway was trying to block this bill from, from, or not the bill, this lawsuit from going forward. And this judge said, look, you know, we're going to allow this, um, group to sue you because, uh, basically we wanted to get to the bottom of, of why there's no tuna in 19 samples. Subway was saying that it was sampling air or that you should expect a, a little bit of, um, other meats to, to be in your, your tuna from cross contamination, um, which of course, what else were they going to say? Right. But, um, and that's just a microcosm of, of how companies, um, are out to, to screw over consumers, right. Not doing what they say. And, and there's just a general lack of oversight from a, a government that has no teeth and, and has no real leadership and has been bought and paid for through uh, the mechanisms of campaign finance and through um, lobbying. And so uh, good on that group for, for, for pointing out the fishiness as it were. Um, and then let me turn to, to, to the police for one second, because um, uh, they're one of the, the groups, one of the institutions that has truly failed here in the United States is, is in desperate need of uh, reforming. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a report or a story or a case every week that um, continues to highlight it. This week, we got uh, the release of a tape um, of the footage of the Uvalde shooting. And we um, get to see the, the police show up five minutes after the shooter enters the building. And you've got a cop standing in the hallway for 77 minutes while he fires hundreds of rounds and uh, killed all those babies. And um, they were there. I mean, your boys in blue, they were there in the hallway outside. They, they didn't try to go in despite what the initial report said about them being met with a, a, a locked door. They never got the, themselves to the door. They ran away as soon as they uh, heard shots when they were halfway down the hallway. You can see it plain as day in the in the video you've got uh, one officer checking his phone you had another officer casually um, dispensing hand sanitizer from a wall-mounted hand sanitizer um, and, and rubbing his hands all while the the bullets are flying and, and children were being murdered these are the the folks who are sworn to protect you, right? And who in any other case are, are fast to, to pull the trigger, right? When, you know, it strikes me that a lot of these shootings that we see, these police shootings is, oh, we thought he had a gun, right? He was reaching for his belt to, to pull the gun or um, we, we feared for our lives. But, you know, in those cases, I guess I would point to one in Ohio recently where the uh, gentleman fired one shot from his car, or ran from his car, didn't have the gun with him. Um, and the cops quickly put 46 bullets in his body. He had no gun in his hand. It seems like they're really confident to shoot when there's 
um, not an immediate threat to them when there's not even a visible gun. And when there is an immediate threat, when you've got someone armed with a with an AR-15, um, they're pussies, frankly. I mean, those guys in Uvalde stood in the hallway and, and listened to the screams um, uh, of those children while they were being being murdered. And they have the equipment. I mean, you can see, again, clear as day, the, the police are there with um, riot shields, with uh, protective gear all over, and they themselves have uh, military-grade weapons, and, and they were content just to stand in the hallway, not to um, rush uh, to the danger to um, save you. And so, the, again, that's just a, a, a microcosm of um, the entire uh, American political leadership and, and police institution. They're not there to save you. They're there to look out for themselves. In the case of uh, politicians, they're there to enrich themselves. Uh, and in the case of police, I'm not sure what they're there for. I guess I would have to point to the clearance rates of crimes, which um, are, are approaching multi, multi-decade lows. You know, they only solve uh, 40, 45, 50 percent of, of murders. They solve 30 percent of rapes. They serve. They solve less than 30 percent of um, robberies, despite despite the the increased budgets they've got since 9-11, despite the amount of uh, tools or toys, as I w- would refer to them, that we give them, you know, the uh, all the protective equipment, the, uh, the fancy uh, rifles and, and pistols and, and cars and uh, upgrades to the cars and the MRAPs and all that stuff. They, they continue to solve less and less crimes. Um, and continue to be there for you less and less. And 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 the last thing I would point to there is um, an article this week showing that um, large cities like Chicago and New York are spending tens of millions of dollars on a uh, technology called Shot Spotter, which um, is a is a is a network of of microphones and cameras that are in, installed in a city that are supposed to tell cops where. Um, shots are coming from, except this report pointed out that, um, you know, last year in Chicago, of 50,000 shots that were uh, heard from this system, you know, less than 10% um, resulted in, a, in, a, in an actual um, arrest or an actual event that the police could do something about. And so uh, another waste of money there and something that really doesn't um, serve the public. In fact, the, the, the report was saying that um, what its shot spotter has turned into is a, is a massive listening device, uh, um, an eavesdropping device, right? Because it has the microphones and can pick up things other than um, gunshots, like people talking, for example. And so um, another iteration of the police state that doesn't really serve to make you any safer and doesn't lead to any more arrests or serving of crimes, but certainly cost tens of millions of dollars. In the case of Chicago, I think it was like over $30 million they had spent on this uh, shot spotter. And then um, I guess that takes me to ring cameras, right? So um, we bought a house uh, here in downtown Spokane a couple of months ago that I'm going to eventually use to, to work out of. It's being rehabbed now. Um, and while it's been sitting empty, it's been uh, broken into twice. Once uh, the back door was kicked in uh, and once someone uh, broke into the shed seemingly to, to spend the night and I was looking into to cameras uh, to put up and, and it just so happened that this week there was a lot of news about ring cameras in 
uh, or a lot of articles about ring cameras in the news because um, police are being able to access this ring camera data without without warrants, without telling the homeowner. And so um, I'm not sure that I'm on board with that. Right. It's certainly not, you know, giving footage to the police without uh, it being formally requested from me. And so uh, I'm coming up with a solution there. But uh, the property crime in, in Spokane and elsewhere is going off the charts. And this comes full circle back to the housing and the, and the recession. Right. Um, the homeless numbers are are up significantly. There was 1,700 um, homeless people counted in Spokane last um, in a report that came out last week. And um, homelessness was making headlines in the, in the New York Times last week as well. And, and they were writing about the root causes of it. Of course, I don't have to tell you homelessness is up. You see them on the uh, street corners when you drive to work or, or take your kids places. And, and the tent cities are, are growing by the day. We have one tent city here in Spokane. They're estimating, you know, over 500 people are in. It's the largest tent city in uh, the state of Washington, even bigger than the ones that they have in uh, Seattle. And, and what are these reports pointing to as the price? It's, it's something I've been saying for a while. You know, it's um, when home prices are um, the way they are, people are literally priced out of the market. And if you can't afford a home, what are you? I mean, you're homeless. Um, and so uh, with inventories uh, scant, with prices of houses remaining high, with rent prices uh, increasing in cities across the country, um, and with people's wages not keeping up with those rates of inflation for housing prices and rent, and now with um, the Fed intent on, on continuing to raise rates, which has drive, driven mortgage uh, mortgage rates up on a 30 year to uh, five or six percent. Um, you know, fewer and fewer people can uh, afford homes. There's obviously it's obviously a more complex issue than that. You get into uh, historic zoning laws and, and people in single family neighborhoods not wanting multi unit uh, residential complexes near them. And um, it becomes a very complex issue. But but fundamentally, it's a it's a supply and demand issue like so many things are. If there's not the supply of housing at a at a at a, at a rate or a price that people can afford, then um, you're going to have more and more people on the street. And so, um, uh, again, the, the, your leadership has been non-existent, um, has failed to, to address that, at least as I see it. And it's why, um, you know, I, I continue to take um, all matters that concern me and my family into my own hands. You know, I, I run my uh, family, my house and my investments like it's its own business without um, influence or, or input from 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 politicians or, or anyone else, and I've taken that stance for over a decade now. I've been a strong proponent of uh, individualism and and individual sovereignty. And um, over the next couple of weeks, a shameless plug here, you know, I'll have a new report out. Uh, it's called a blueprint for any market, and um, it'll offer a series of reports about how I do that from. Um, how I manage speculative investments and safe investments, to how I reduce tax bills, um, to how I keep myself and my family insulated um, from the system, right? As the system continues to collapse, whatever institution that might be, Congress, the uh, Supreme Court, police, uh, housing, whatever it is, right? And so keep an eye out for that. Uh, I hope to have it out by the end of the month. It's called um, a blueprint basically for any market, but certainly a blueprint for 
Um, the markets that we're seeing now, which uh, again, S&P down 20% for the year, firmly in a bear market. And at least as I see it, uh, not really going to improve for a couple of quarters until we get these uh, comparisons to 21 behind us. So that means like uh, Q1 of 2023, Q2 of, of 2023. So um, I guess apologies for being a, a, a doomer and a gloomer this week. I'm certainly not uh, always that way, but the, the data is pointing to, to that needing to be the, the mantra here is staying defensive, uh, staying in cash so we can deploy it as tax law season comes. And uh, when stocks finally do turn the corner back to bullish after this um, you know, bear stops growling. And I think that's a couple quarters away. So uh, an abbreviated issue here. Hope to have Gerardo back uh, next week. Watch out for that Subway tuna. Uh, stick with the meatballs or the, the spicy Italian. And uh, that's all I got for this week. Episode 177 of Bizarro World. Hey there, you independent-minded investor. If you like this video, make sure to tell us so by clicking the like button below. Subscribe to our channel so you never miss another one. And share it with everyone you know on social media. You can also click the link in the description below to check out more information-packed videos just like this one. Thanks for watching.